So a little bit about our speakers before I let them begin their conversation. As you can see here, it's the director talk. So it's a conversation between Zina Zaraviva. Uh, Zina is a video artist and filmmaker who lives and works in Niger Delta, Nigeria. Uh, Zaraviva recently set up Boys Quarters Project Space, a pop-up gallery in the city of Port Hardcourt. Um, her current interest lies in mapping emotional landscapes and exploring highly personal experiences. Her work has been shown in numerous museums and galleries and film festivals all over the world. Um, Koyo Kuo is the founding director and uh, artistic director of Raw Material um, in Dakar, Senegal. Kuo was educated in banking administration and cultural management in Switzerland and in France. And besides a sustained series of um, theoretical and exhibition programs at Raw Material Company, she maintains a dynamic curatorial activity um, beyond African borders. She's also the educational curator of 154 Forum. And actually, in keeping with those um, aims of sustaining a theoretical uh, program at Raw Material, she actually produced this book, which is available in our bookshop. It's called um, Condition Report, and it's uh, derived from a symposium on building art institutions in Africa. Um, so she'll talk more about that during their discussion also. So thank you, um, Koyo and Zina. Thank you, Jose. Am I mic'd up? Good. Uh, good afternoon. Hi, Zina. <laughs> Thank you so much for, for being here and uh, for continuing uh, a discussion that we started uh, a few weeks ago, a few months ago. And uh, I'm very excited that we can, we can continue it uh, publicly. Um, you are a fully accomplished uh, uh, artist, but you are not here to talk about your art. And, uh, and the legacy that you, that you carry, but rather to continue a conversation that we started here last year, but actually a conversation that started uh, 10 years ago and that we at uh, Raw Material Company uh, deemed extremely important to contextualize it and to sort of try to read out of this new landscape that has emerged in the last 10 years of uh, independent spaces and uh, artist-run spaces and initiatives and uh, curators-run spaces in, uh, in Africa to, uh, to present, to uh, discuss, to negotiate, to preserve uh, contemporary artistic practice and intellectual production. And, uh, it is in the context of that that uh, in uh, 2012, this was in January 2012, that uh, we initiated our inaugural symposium in, uh, in Dakar, which is, uh, which is now becoming a series. Uh, the symposium uh, condition report on building art institutions in Africa. Maybe some of you may have heard of it, some of you may have even particip participated. And uh, uh, the symposium was, uh, was a moment, uh, the first time that uh, a gathering was organized uh, in Africa by African professionals to and uh, to really look at what is sort of uh, defining the, the conditions and the infrastructure also of, uh, of dealing with, uh, with contemporary artistic thought and artistic production. 
And uh, unfortunately, by then, Voice Quarters project space was not born yet. No, it was born very, very recently. So um, <laughs> I'm hoping to learn something from you, Koya. <laughs> And, uh, and I'm very happy because I, uh, I, uh, this, is, this, is, this is a development that is very dear to me and that I follow very, very closely. And this is also why, that, why we wanted to bring you to, to the discussion this year and also continuing the discussion because it's, not a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a never ending kind of process. And, uh, there are new uh, initiatives that pop, that come uh, to life every year. Others that maybe transform or even die. Uh, and uh, if we look at, for instance, the experience of Gabi Sobo with uh, Center for Historical Reenactment in Johannesburg, for instance, and uh, and I wanted to to also. Uh, find out, of course, have the opportunity to present Boys Quarters project, uh, project space and, and to discuss all this uh, new energy that is going on uh, uh, in Africa and especially in Western Central Africa. And, and all, all that energy is so fed and given by women. You know, I mean, I mean, 80% of those spaces are initiated by women, are run by women, young professional African women. And uh, uh, it is, uh, I think it is something that deserves a kind of, uh, you know, contextualization and discussion and uh, uh, criticism. Um, earlier in the, in the, in the session earlier, Elvira Jangani was, was talking about the Lubumbashi Biennial and her, and her involvement in it and her work with Picha and Sami Baloji. And at some point, uh, Sami, who couldn't be with us, uh, was here through video and he was saying, oh, you, you know, we don't really have that many spaces to to show art or to, to present art, there are maybe one or two places. And this is the reality in, uh, in many countries. But it's a, it's, a kind of a, it's a kind of a fraught reality because at the same time, you have this nation building uh, infrastructure that was built between the, from the 60s up to the 70s, I mean, the glorious decade of Africa, I would say, and uh, uh, and those spaces, I mean, are, are most of them are government-led, mm. government-run, and uh, there is a there is a real um, discrepancy of and also a kind of myopic uh, uh, vision in terms of programming that are taking place into these, be them national galleries or national museums or, or, or whatever. So I'm saying that just to say that it's not, it's not like there are no spaces. There are spaces, of course, uh, but those spaces are, are, are run in a very regressive way, so to speak. And I, and I really think that, and also in referring to what Elvira was mentioning is that, every environment sort of engenders 
the, the institutions or the, the initiatives or the, the spaces, if you want, that it needs. And uh, it is not a coincidence or it is not a random, let us, let me, I'm, excuse my English, I'm not a native English speaker. Um, uh, it is not a, a coincidence that uh, all these, uh, it's a new generation of professional African art professionals that are in the, on the map are creating those spaces yeah. as a, it's not only, and, and it's not only uh, a kind of, uh, I wrote in this, uh, in this publication that you actually can get in the bookshop upstairs, uh, in, the, in the essay that I did in it, I, w I wrote about filling the voids. But now two years later, I, I, I'm sort of convinced that it's those initiatives are not just filling the voids. I think they are providing uh, just different voices in addition to what exists or in contrast, at least, to, to, to what exists. So uh, before I take the floor too much, and uh, I would like uh, you, Zina, to, uh, we, in preparing this, we had a, a whole set of uh, talking points and that uh, we put together and I hope that we will have time to, uh, to discuss them. But uh, I would like you, Tina, to maybe introduce us to Boys Quarter Project Space and what it does, why is it in Port Harcourt and why does it call Boys Quarters? Yeah. And, uh, well, yeah, I'm just a brief sit introduction. Here yeah. And just let this do the talking. So we could just sit here for 10 minutes and the pictures will do the talking. Um, you can either listen to me or you can watch the, the slideshow. I've sort of curated them in a specific way so that you can see what we're doing. So this is Boys Quarters. This is, um, hmm, I don't know where to begin. So I'm not even sure why or how this place started. I knew that um, I had to go back to Nigeria at some point to kind of really have a different relationship with um, where I was from in Nigeria, the Niger Delta. Um, Niger Delta is um, not Lagos. Um, Lagos has a, a much stronger cultural history and um, we have quite a few more galleries there, commercial as well as uh, more curatorially specific galleries like CCA run by BC Silver, who's upstairs. Um, but for me, I think I, I was ready to go back to the Niger Delta because I wanted to deal with um, looking at my father's legacy. My father was Ken Sarah, we were environmental activist and writer. And um, I had really felt for a long time that his legacy had been very much politicised. And the idea of environmentalism was very much unquestioned. And his legacy was drawn out in one particular way, in a way that I actually didn't really relate to, if I was perfectly honest. Um, for many, many years, I hadn't wanted to do anything relating to him. I worked at the BBC. I didn't really interface with what was going on. It was already taken care of, already dealt with. Um, but about sort of 10, 12, 15 years after he died, I felt ready to do something. At the time, I, documentary was much more my medium. And I felt that, um, but when I tried to engage with his legacy through documentary, I came across a lot of obstacles that I didn't understand. And the obstacle was the format. It wasn't documentary. It was, it was supposed to be art. Art was the way that I was supposed to deal with and explore his legacy. And it was art that allowed me the freedom to do so. 
Um, it was moving to New York five years ago that enabled me to um, begin to explore my artistic muscle. And, um, and after about three or four years and in doing works and commissions for museums and curating my first ever show, which is about Nollywood, actually, um, in New York, um, the time sort of felt right to go back to Nigeria. There's nothing, you can't do anything. You can't be an artist that's interested in African questions or questions of identity and just be in New York. I, I couldn't. Um, I felt like I had to go back to, to, to understand that and to deal with it. So, um, and so I managed to get, a, I got a commission. I got basically, I'm, I'm doing a solo show next year at a museum in Texas. And um, that happened because of previous shows I'd done in Texas before. So that was a wonderful galvanizing force, knowing that I have a body of work to create that's going to be shown um, in 2015, which is the 20th anniversary of my father's death. Um, and so um, it was time to go back. So I went back and... Um, the thing is, in terms of, you know, there is my own work, but then there's also boys' quarters. There is the idea of, a, of an institution. Um, I'd had this thought of doing um, articulations in the street, sort of like <laughs> this idea of, oh, why should anything be in a museum? It's, you know, in Africa, um, art is supposed to live and breathe, and it's, you know, part of everything else, and you're supposed to be, it's supposed to be out in the world and not hidden in a museum, which is a very Western model. Um, but then you go to somewhere like Port Harcourt and you sort of see there's very little public space. There's not even um, pavements, in a sense. It, a pavement is an important public space and you don't really have pavements that you can negotiate that easily. They're overtaken by cars or by cellars or they just don't exist at all. And so um, the part, Port, Port Harcourt's quite different from other parts of Nigeria. Um, it's rich in that it has a lot of oil and it produces a lot of the wealth. For Niger most, I mean, 60, 70% of the wealth of Nigeria comes from oil, and it's the tenth, Nigeria is the 10th largest oil producer in the world, but it is, not, it is not evident remotely inside the city of Port Harcourt. You won't see any, not that there has to be skyscrapers, but you won't see that. Um, infrastructure is extremely poor. Um, public space is very difficult to negotiate. There are no parks, for example. There's one park, Isaac Borough Park, which people do not enter because of fear of of, um, well, you know, muggings or being attacked by um, area boys. And so public space is very difficult. There isn't this sense of it. And because of the violence, there's been a lot of violence over the years, and especially in 2004 with the militants, um, people, public space becomes privatised. People um, socialise at home in hotels. And um, there's no sense of a public life. There's no public spheres. And even the National Gallery has no actual galleries. It has offices. Um, which is really surprising. So um, there's no, there really isn't space for beauty and space for literally the soul, people's souls to meet and engage. Of course, there's marketplaces. Of course, there's um, chop houses where people go, mainly men will go out and eat. But in terms of engaging with art, there are no spaces to do that. Now, there is an art industry there and um, the artists that exist there um, but mainly they're supported by the oil industry. It's oil workers that buy the works that the artists there make. So there's this really interesting relationship whereby the oil industry has created a particular environment, a socioeconomic structure, um, which has affected the art that's produced, but they're the only ones that really buy it. And so the work that's produced is highly commercial, and the spaces where they end up showing it is often in hotels or inside the gated communities of oil of the oil companies. So one of the first art shows I went to was, um, was um, Total, the French company. So you had to go through all these kind of gates and you know, be buzzed through and have arguments with people because you're always having arguments with people to try and get in places. And, you know, and it was very pleasantly done, um, but not 
it, it, the, the, the architecture of the space is still very much present. It's not in service to art. You know, there's pot plants and there's, you know, we're just putting pictures up where there's wall space. So that was the first show that I went to. Many, many, many artists. The show will be up for a few days. It's really about selling. And there's no real curatorial focus, even though there's often something that talks about the river or the idea or some idea sort of of the Niger Delta. And so that's, you know, normally the way that you're going to experience art in the Niger Delta. So, um... This idea of me wanting to see public articulations, it wasn't going to work because someone would just kick it over and no one has any reverence for that. People are trying to make money and survive. Um, so that was a particular, uh, so that was a Western conceit on my part, having, you know, having thought that this was me trying to defer somehow to um, more indigenous appreciation of art. But that wasn't the case at all in the end. In the end, for me, it felt important to, to have a space that showed reverence to art. That was um, that put the art first. So, um, boys' quarters was actually in one of my father's office buildings, the main one that he used to um, occupy. And um, so we basically transformed it. I suppose you've been seeing some of the pictures where it was an, an office, and then I basically turned it into a white cube. And um, seeing as we're here, I'll talk about the Windowall Gallery. So the Windowall Gallery um, is um, this is my father's office. And we've, it's the only place that we've kept as is. This is what it used to look... Well, this is what it looks like, essentially. Um, but I blocked off one of the windows here. This is the window he would have looked out of. And I used this space to tell stories about his legacy specifically. Um, so um, the first show... For, this is the window he would have looked out of, but now we've blocked it off, so it's the window to somewhere else. Um, his soul, if you like, or the places where his legacy's reached that we might not have understood. So, uh, so far we've had two exhibitions at Boys' Quarters, and each time we change the exhibition that's inside there. And in my father's office, the first one we did was um, photographs of his library, because um, Port Harcourt is UNESCO book capital of the world. And so I wanted to show what one of the most famous writers from Port Harcourt read. And then the second show that's up right now, this is Oil Man, this is part of the show, is um, all about... Um, in Agoniland, the masquerade movement has, has folklorized my father's image. And I was actually in Agoniland doing a project for another museum, but then I sort of um, started to see him popping up in all the masquerades and the masks, etc. So I've, I've documented that, and that's what you see in my father's, um, in my father's um, office. Um, I'll talk about the shirt another time. But yeah, so basically it's called boys' quarters because originally I wanted to do it in the family boys' quarters. The boys' quarters is the servants' quarters in many West African, and I don't know if it's in East Africa as well or Southern Africa, but the boys' quarters is um, it's a pejorative term. Obviously, it's a colonial term, and it refers to the, the, where the servants would live. It's the sort of quarters at the back of the house. Now, these days, people, yeah, some people can still have servants, but otherwise people sometimes rent it out to family members or they rent it out to, to lodgers. But the boys' quarters is um, the place where I thought we might do the gallery. My mother, who's at the front here, um, was not having it. So that's how it ended up being actually at my father's office. It was my brother's idea to do it in my father's office, and it was a much better idea, I think, for that. I kept the name Boys' Quarters because it's very important to me because Boys' Quarters is the place, um, the psychological space where Nigerians must transcend. Nobody wants to be from the Boys' Quarters. Everyone wants to be from the big, the big house. They want to be the big man, the ogre, understandably. But for me, there is this sense where we forget the people from the Boys' Quarters. There's a sort of 
Um, even people um, on the so-called bottom tier of society, they're looking upwards always. All Nigerians are like this. But I feel that it's important that we, that we look downwards and we look around us. That's really important to me. And that we, um, instead of going towards the big house, we should be running towards the, big, the boys' quarters and trying to express who we are from our core. Um, and it's something I'd explored in other work before me, um, in, in my Nollywood work, actually. When you look at the Nollywood, um, uh, the living rooms, the, 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 these are shot in real homes, and there's a sense of plasticity and everything's imported in Nigeria. Very little is made indigenously. And so there's always a sense of having to look outside ourselves somehow, um, visually and in terms of what it means to be a person that's fully realised. And, um, and I'm not interested in that. I have no interest in that. And I wanted to sort of look inwards. And I actually love the aesthetic of the boys' quarters. There's a beautiful, it's concrete, but there's a beautiful simplicity about it. And I love the kind of simplicity that we're, um, uh, and that's what's kind of expressed in boys' quarters in, in my gallery. And we just turned it into a white cube. We sort of blocked off all the windows and soundproofed everything, which is important in Port Harcourt because it's extremely noisy. It's extremely noisy there, especially in the part of town where this is. And, um, and where it is, it's a dangerous part of town. People don't go there. Um, and they don't go there because of um, the area boys and the gangsters that, uh, that are still there, that still proliferate. And so, um, so yeah, so this is the outside of Agri Road, which is where, and we're on the, just, we've only occupied a little corner, but a sixth of it, the bit where my father used to be. And this is Agri Road, so it's the commercial road. And, um, and this is the refurbishment. So, um, yeah, so it looks like a very ordinary kind of African office. We, these windows here, they're windows and doors on either side. And we basically um, soundproofed everything and covered everything. And as you can see, you can't see anything again after that. And painted the floor and made it a really beautiful, I think, a really beautiful white cube. And the artists are delighted because it means that the focus is on their work. And we're doing one, one artist at a time as well, which is something that doesn't happen because normally it's a big melange. Um, the reading room is, okay, that's our site manager, Felix, and the reading room is where people can come and relax and read from our teeny tiny library of something like, I don't know, 30 books that we're trying to expand. You can see some of them there. Um, I put in the bathroom because it's really important to me. We use these bottle tops, which um, I like the idea of, but it's a bit more revolutionary in Nigeria where everyone wants to use marble tiles and they think that's what's supposed to be wonderful but I like using bottle tops. And the beautiful thing is, this is our caretaker, Mavor, and he made that piece of art there because he was the one that did the floor for me. So what I liked is that we sort of tapped into people's creative energies, and, he's, and that's for sale, by the way. And, um, but I love the fact that he's like making work, and he's continuing to make work now. Um, so, and we've talked about the window, gal window wall gallery. So yeah, so Boys' Quarters is really about getting back to who we are. Um, so the Window Wall Gallery deals with my father's legacy in particular, but the wider remit of uh, Boys' Quarters is really to explore self and environment. And what does environment mean? So for me, the idea, environmentalism, there's a certain kind of evangelical, evangelical approach to environmentalism that I've come across, obviously as a Sarah Weaver, but also just, you just see it everywhere. Leonardo DiCaprio is an example of that. And I've never really understood it, I have to tell you. I don't understand approach to the environment I, I, I've realised is um, entirely Western in its own way. And, I, and people look at the Nice Delta and are using it as a way of talking about how we have to move beyond fossil fuels. But I also feel like there's, a, there's, there's something missing in the equation. There's a sense that I want to understand what our environmentalism looks like and what does that mean. 
because in so many ways you see um, they have one view of what it means to be environmental in the West, but when you're in Nigeria, it just it's quite a different thing. Yes, we have recycling, that's because we have to recycle, but then there's all people litter without thinking about it, or just throw a plastic bottle out without thinking about it. There's a whole different approach to the environment. And all the work that we're showing here is really about exploring what that relationship is and renegotiating re that relationship, because there is an issue with loving the environment, which we can talk about. Yeah. And, and I want point. to come back to something which seems uh, 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 unimportant, but which I think it's, uh, it's quite crucial. and. Uh, in the opening uh, um, uh, session on, on Thursday with uh, Jonah Comfra, who was mm. talking about you know, the, the history of the uh, Black Arts Movement and how a Black Audio Film Collective came about. We're talking about naming. Mm. And, uh, and you, you, also, uh, you also mentioned how important the naming of uh, of the space was and mm. and also the, the whole political load that is also put into the naming and it brought yeah. me back also to when I was uh, establishing raw material company and how much the naming of uh, of uh, of the space of the initiative of the project was important because. Uh, for instance, uh, uh, I was personally not interested. First of all, I didn't want any kind of uh, 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 literal reference to Africa in the name, mm -hmm. but I wanted to be very African right. at the same time. And uh, it was not. It was very important for me that it was wouldn't be called uh, any sort of center for contemporary what yeah. whatever, mm -hmm. and uh, and how that process uh, took. Actually, in retrospect, when I look at it, how that process of thinking about it, of you know, of uh, conceptualizing it, of, and developing it, took a very important part of the of the of the whole process. So, coming to raw material company, where every most of the people also ask, why is it called raw material company? I mean, maybe some of you don't know, but those uh, those for those who don't know, just quickly for before you. I go back to really explaining the boys' quad. The raw material uh, is uh, was uh, uh, I, we took the name raw material because of uh, to refer to Africa as a provider of raw materials for the world, and uh, and uh, and uh, and company as a as a as an idea of togetherness and the collaboration. So that's why it's called raw material company. So. And you, you are just mentioning now uh, um, boys' quarters. Actually, to to go back to the to to the kind of the importance of uh, you know, uh, and when you refer to 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 that, I mean, you were talking about the housekeepers and yeah. and so on, yeah. and uh, which is part of a lot of African, not only middle class but even lower class family Absolutely. have have have. Uh, housekeepers and how much this community of people are really, you know, the real backers of uh, of uh, of a lot of societies really? and making the boys' quarters a white cube is <laughs> 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 kind of uh, you know ennobling them and. Uh, 
enabling can you us. Though. Yeah, exactly. My motto is, and we are all from the boys' quarters, mm -hmm. um, which I really enjoy because so many people have an issue with that. They don't like the, the idea. They, don't, they say, I'm not, from, I'm not from the boys' quarters. But my contention is that we are all from the boys' quarters. And I don't care where you're from. Even if you're, say, um, a white person in Nigeria, we are all from the boys' quarters. What does that mean to you? That's of interest to me. Um, but also the boys' quarters is this contested space. It's always a place that I wasn't really supposed to go inside. We weren't really allowed to go there. And it was, it was always shrouded with mystery. And it was also to protect the people that was their home as well. It wasn't just for me just to like barge in and do what I liked. But, it's, it, the, but there was a kind of, for me, it was a, kind of a space that I wasn't allowed to sort of transcend. But what I enjoy by naming something boys' quarters is that when we're having events, um, I have a friend who's going to be doing some really wonderful philosophical talks at the boys' quarters, which is lovely. It's embedded in the language. You already have to say, we are going to be doing X, Y, Z. We're going to ex explore environment. We're going to discuss um, Nollywood film. We're going to think about Jean-Michel Basquiat in the boys' quarters. It's actually, in Nigeria, it's like it's quite a big thing to be able to say that, to using that subversion in the language mm -hmm. is, was kind of important to me as well. And... Uh if I, uh, I'm interested in uh, the white cube as a format. I of, love the uh, white cube. Don't worry, <laughs> I'm getting there. Let me introduce my, uh, my idea. The white cube as a format has been a lot criticized in the, in the West. You know, I mean, there have been uh, many initiatives and, you know, activities against the white cube or against the kind of homogeneity of... Uh, representation or presentation of art mm. in the white cube. Uh, so I would be interested in knowing why did you want to, to you know, replicate a format that is more and more, you know, uh, criticized and, mm. and complicated also as a setting for, for, for art. I did the same, but I want you, you to. Okay. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, if you go to somewhere like Port Harcourt and you sort of see um, how, um, what's the, there's no polite way of saying it, it's extremely, it's very, very messy. It's not, I think people, the, the order is inside people's homes and inside people's spaces, but on a street level, you know, what you're hit with when you're driving around, when you first get there, you get the sense of disorder. Mm. And, um, and there isn't, and it's not like what I imagine Cotonou or Dakar to be like. It's not this, it's not full of beautifully painted buildings. It's not, it's not this place where the visual is extremely, um, it's not quaint, it's not beautiful, it's not pretty, it's none of that. It doesn't have any of that. It's a, it's a really ugly place. And the visual isn't really respected, actually. And so, um, and as I said, with the art, with the art shows, you know, say if you had a room, it would never be a room like this. It would be a hotel, it would be a foyer. So you, you are aware that you're in a foyer and that there's going to be art in that place. There are a couple of dedicated places, but they're often selling furniture as well. So, um, you know, when, when, I, when we started Raw Material Company, one of my, my response to the question a lot were when people were asking me, so why did you start that? I said, oh, I wanted to have a place to see art without furniture. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Without crafts. Yes. Yeah. 
or earrings. Yes, you exactly. Know, like, <laughs> you know, that longing of, you know, going to a place, I mean, if it can it can even be a living room mm. where just the art is presented, mm. uh, where just the focus is on art and not all this visual disturbance. But it's yeah. a magic box that, I mean, I, yeah. for me, I just think it's so exciting. It's why I went into art, that you can go into a place and you've, you've called this You've called this an art gallery. So anything you put in it, you have to reconsider it. Mm. Whether you like it or not, whether you respect it or not, you have to reconsider it. Mm. And as someone who's invested in sort of transforming conversations about Africa, that is such a powerful and completely um, um, irresistible tool. Mm. Why would I not do that? I don't want a space where you're thinking about other things or what else it's used for. No, this is used for looking. Mm -hmm. This is a room for looking only. And, and I love that. I love that the fact that anything I put in there, you're going to have to consider differently. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's a tool for transformation. And so I, I couldn't have conceived of anything apart from that. Having said that, once you've cleansed the palette, the visual palette, and once you've done that work, then you can perhaps start to move forward and, and start to do new things and, you know, put, putting up, you know, art in places that people not, might not have considered before. We, we, have to, uh, we have to be in a process right now of cleansing our visual palettes, I think, and focusing, because every art show in Port Harcourt, for example, is replete with hundreds of works, it feels like, and many artists. And so you're just going from one thing to the next thing to the next thing, and it's just, where's the conversation? Because it's just about selling. It's just about literally an oil worker wanting to buy this, that, that, and the other. And there are very few local um, collectors. Um, the, um, there, there is, I mean, the, the main one is pictured here. Um, and so, you know, there isn't that sense that there's a place where you can just look at art and think about the ideas that it's bringing forward. So that, it, for me, it had to be a white cube. The, you, you talked about their dreams of, you know, bringing art to the public and realising that the public space is like in many African cities. It's not like here where the public space belongs to everybody, it belongs to nobody, mm. basically. And that also means that anything can happen there, good or bad. So I'm interested in, uh, I mean, Boys Quarters has been going on like for like a little- Since May only. Yeah, since May. Uh, what, what is your experience with, uh, with audience? I mean, who comes or who doesn't come? And how, how does, it, does it feed into the, the community that is interested in art? Um, so, I, I mean, there's a lot of relief that it's there. People are really excited in the art community that mm. Boys Quarters exists, which is wonderful. Mm. We're really excited about that. Getting audiences in is, is a struggle. It's also partly about where it's placed because it's mm. in what we call town and nobody wants to go to town. The reason I showed you the picture of the men with the guns is that, you know, when some people come to our openings, that they'll come with, you know, with bodyguards. And, um, and you see these armoured cars. There's a picture at the front where the armoured cars, that's, you know, when people come to, some people won't even come. The guy who donated my, um, our, um, uh, what's the word, our air conditioners, he won't come, he doesn't come, because no one, we don't go to that part of town. He came once to have a look around. Again, you know, big car and everything, and, you know, bodyguard. But, the, um, but he hasn't come back since, and he's not really interested to, you know, be in that part of town, because security mm -hmm. is such, a worry for some people. I'm not saying it's necessarily always justified. I mean, things do happen there, but for the, for the most part, I'm pretty pretty safe. Mm. But the, you know, that he lives there and he has the memory of that place. And so art really is about supposed to be in places that are, are secure. So security is always the first and most important thing that people think about. So 
Uh, these are, this is all my excuse for why we have mm. not a huge amount of people sort of traipsing through. Um, but the people that do come, um, actually everyone that sort of works there, they encourage their friends. So my site manager, who's also my driver, he's been responsible also for, you know, the, for the non-artists. Mm -hmm. um, those kind of people coming along and, in, you know, who've never been into an art gallery before mm -hmm. or into a museum before, and he's the one that's trying to get people, and they're inviting their friends to come and have a look. And mm -hmm. the thing is that they love the conversations that we're starting, like um, with this particular show, um, you know, this is so not in the right order, and I don't know what's going on, so I'm really sorry if it's confusing. But, um, you know, these are the two artists, by the way, that I'm showing. Shagun's playing right now, and Perrin made these works here. And so when we start to talk to them, though, about the works that, we, uh, that we're showing, then they start to feel, oh, my God, I have a connection with this. They actually understand what, what we're talking about. And then they go around and tell other people. But for the most part, we have very, we have very few visitors, I would say. Um, and in, we don't really have many visitors during the week. Saturday is the big day. Um, and we don't open on a Sunday. You think we, we would, but we don't because people go to church and it's not something that people want to do. And um, during the weekdays, people are working. So actually Saturday is the main focus. Our openings are Saturday afternoon. We have to shut at four because, you know, after that it gets a little bit dangerous and a bit hairy in that area. So, you know, we sort of focus around that time. And that's why the shows are on for quite a long time, apart from the fact there's not a lot of money. But, you know, Saturday is, is the main focus. So they have like eight to ten opportunities to come because during the week it's a little bit more difficult. But I know that the artistic community is extremely grateful. And so I've been told, and so it says in the visitor book, that they're very happy that such a place and such a space exists because they're offering an opportunity to show work that has nothing to do with, with selling. It's much more about ideas. Mm. You, you mentioned very much, uh, of course, uh, as uh, carrying the name that you carry, you, you bear a very big legacy. And you mentioned uh, uh, your, your interest and your work into environmental issues and ecology. Uh, does that, how does it flow into your program or what kind of ideas do you have, have you developed to, to, for your curatorial program? Sure. Um, okay. Um, I'm actually finding this a bit of a distraction. I hope you don't. <laughs> I'm going to pretend it doesn't exist and I, I would encourage you to. You, can, you, you want it to stop? Um, uh, well, there will I, be 60 different pre, uh, favorites here. So suggestion maybe I mean, I don't mind to leave it, but yeah. would it be helpful to turn you it off? You um, can just yeah, it stop off. it on, on one image, Which maybe one? not this one. Let's pick, <laughs> oh, I, I, there is one I would love to stop on, actually, because um, when we get to it, I'll let you know. Carry on and I'll let you know, because actually it's about the first show, which I, I really loved. So that first show was called The, um, the Restless Grove. And that was um, artist Perrin Aglafa, who's one of the leading artists of the Niger Delta. And his work that he normally does is extremely, it's very commercial painting. Mm -hmm. You'll find his works in hotels and in banks and oil workers' homes. And um, um, they're actually not my favourite works of his at all. In fact, I, I don't really like them. But when I went to his studio, <laughs> um, his studio is incredible. It's just filled with so many ideas. Mm -hmm. It's like a gallery in itself. And um, so I was going through his, um, all his works and, you know, nixing the paintings and then looking at all these objects. And I found underneath a beautiful bench that he'd made, this kind of pile of thread. And I said, what, what is that? And it looked like nothing else that he had. And it had a sort of energy about it that was so incredible. We're going to see it in a second. It's around coming up somewhere. 
And I was just so taken with this work. And he said, oh, it's nothing. It's nothing I could sell. I said, well, what is it? And he said, it's, it's a, a canvas that I've pulled apart one thread at a time. I thought, well, that's extraordinary. I'm to I, that's what I want to show. And um, you'll, I'll, I'll get to how this links with environment in a second. But um, what I loved about it is it enabled me to tell a story that it took me four months to get out of him. I kept on asking him, why did you make this? Why did you make this? And he said he didn't know. And then eventually he was saying that when he was younger, he was um, in the village with his grandmother and he always wanted to be a fisherman. And um, his grandmother said that he, wasn't, he, was a, he was a town boy. He wasn't allowed to be a fisherman. He's going to get an education. And so, you know, so he looked longingly at these fishermen and their practices and wasn't allowed to go there. He eventually became an artist. And, um, but then he made this work, which ends up looking like actually the fishing nets that the men used to use in order to, do, to make their fishing. You'll see, you'll see it here, actually, when it comes up. The, it, the, the work that he's produced actually replicates the, um, the fishing nets. And um, let me just see. So this is Perrin. If I can find it. Stop here. That's the one. Okay. So yeah, so this is the piece. Which I just I love. So I asked him to make a whole lot more, which took him months and months and months. This is several canvases just pulled apart. And so um so yeah, so yeah, so the fishing nets look like that and the action as well, the action of pulling apart uh, a canvas. That's exactly the same as when they're trying to like pull apart their nets so that they can like cast that out. And so he ended up, you know, he's a fisherman of souls, if you like. You know, that's he, he's ended up doing something that related to fishing in his own way, but through his art. And I sort of, and I love that. And, you know, and people come and they, and they look at that and they think, oh, this looks like, what is this? But then you start to talk about fishing and they, they stories start to pour forth about their relationship with the river, with fishing, with fish, and it goes off into all sorts of other directions. Mm -hmm. So that is one aspect of it. Then there was another piece, um, um, Perrin loves wood, but wood never comes into any of his shows that he'll do for Tatal or for Shell or for Elf or what have you. Um, but, you know, they're all, it's all over his, his, um, his studio, so he put them inside the gallery as well. And there was one particular piece, which is a piece of driftwood that we'd found near his, um, in his village. And we put that up on the wall and then we put like a light on it and it looked like a, like a, a fish, so we called it Shadowfish, because of the shadow that, that was cast underneath it. And, um, and the idea of having a found piece of driftwood may not be such a big idea here, but it's a huge idea there. This idea of loving nature in that way is quite contested because if you love, if you're seen to love trees and revere trees, revere the river, it's associated with pre-animistic Christian um, religions. And, you know, and most people are quite religious and they're not really interested in necessarily, well, on the surface at least, having too much to do with that kind of belief system. So this idea of loving nature is not the same as loving nature here. It's a bit, it's contested. It's not that straightforward. You know, that's why there's so much plastic and import, you know, things that are imported from the outside. People aren't, there isn't this kind of love of wooden floors or things being simple. It's about marble and plastic. And, you know, so for him to be like, you know, reverent, showing reverence to wood in this way, I think was really, really important for me to be able to talk about that and to use that. And, but also to disassociate it with, things to do with juju or voodoo, so people feel comfortable discussing that and looking that and loving wood and you know, under thinking about contours and looking at shapes and mm. thinking about the poetry that comes from this beautiful piece of driftwood from his village on the wall that looks like a fish and 
you know, people, you know, once people sort of felt free to be able to discuss that, that's kind of what came forward. Once we're, once we're telling stories, each and every object is an, is an opportunity for us to tell a story and to share ideas. And in this particular show, it's very much about the natural world, about rivers and the mangrove, which is um, Perrin's obsession. And so we're able to um, deal with environment in that particular way. But it's through personal stories there. Mm -hmm. For me, it's really important that it's not this big ecological political idea. Mm -hmm. That is of no interest to me whatsoever. But a, a story, this is about his grandmother, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's more where I want to go. It's much more about people's artists' personal relationships and sharing personal stories. And I think in that way, we can think about environment as something that's also about the emotional environment, the spiritual mm. environment, the psychic environment, mm. and not literally about oil pollution. Mm. Do you think there are any kind of high expectation laid on you with this space and uh, with who you are in the context that you're working in, talking about these high environmental issues that are there because you cannot, you can, I mean, you cannot make, make an abstraction of it because it is there. I mean, the work, for instance, of a, of a photographer from the region like Jojo Shudi, mm. with whom I've worked a lot with, uh, also concentrates on that. And, uh, and the, the exploitation continues, you know, and uh, the corruption continues. And uh, at the, I'm asking this because uh, what, I, what I see from the, the kind of spaces that uh, are being established, there's also a kind of a, uh, uh, an educational role, a political role, and a political activism that is very much embedded in those spaces, uh, at least at Raw Material Company and uh, at other spaces. So what is your... Are you, are you interested in that or what is your stake on that? Is it something that Boys Quarters is getting, will get into or not? So I feel um, that the Niger Delta is highly politicised already. Mm. And I may be a Sarawir, but I don't need to necessarily add to that particular conversation, mm. especially as I don't believe it necessarily leads us anywhere that is new. I don't see those conversations I think these injustices abound and they've been going on for a very, very long time. Mm. And the reason that we keep going around in circles is that we're not asking very important questions of ourselves at our core. So, you know, if all the oil companies were to leave and we're there and we're the only ones there, who, how, how have we developed, who have we become that will enable us to think about how we're dealing, how this money is shared out, mm. how... Um, how we're building our environment around us, mm. how we're thinking about the environment around us, how, how have we changed on the inside? Mm. Those are the more important questions. You can have political wrangling you know, back and forth and back and forth. And we are, we are seeing changes, that there are developments, mm. absolutely. But the very, very core questions about who we are, what we're doing here, what the Niger Delta means, those aren't questions that politicians or people, political activists even can, can answer. They can't answer that. Mm. That's down to artists. To do that, so that's that's our job. Um, I want to move into a key issue within these structures and spaces that we all have. Is uh, first of all, uh, most of the spaces and the institutions that are out there looking at, I mean, negotiating contemporary art 
and bringing uh, another discussion mm. into the practice of art and the presentation of art in Africa are brainchilds of uh, a single person most of the time. Mm. And when you're lucky enough, you have a little bit of funding and you can have maybe sometimes a little bit of staff. And, uh, mm. But uh, you have to train everybody from zero. And uh, so I, uh, I, uh, I want to ask you, what is your experience with that? The fact that Boys Quarters is your brainchild, that means it is tied to you. Mm. Uh, if Zina is not there, a lot doesn't happen. <laughs> it's just like if Koyo is not there, not much is happening at Grow Material Company also. Mm. And at the same time, there is this, uh, this uh, um, desire to, uh, to uh, at least at Grow Material Company and for me in my curatorial and institution building practice, to, to, uh, to create a uh, uh, frameworks or, or use those institutions as conduits, you know, mm. for ideas, but also not to personalize it that much in the sense that it, could, it should survive yeah. without you. So yeah. how do you, how do you, uh, I mean, it's you young, I mean, the institution yeah. is young and you are young <laughs> yourself too, mm. as opposed to me. Uh, uh, how do you, how do you deal with that? I think it's quite, uh, it's a dilemma. Yeah. I'm asking you because I'm curious. I'm trying to learn. Maybe you have fresh ideas. What's my fresh idea? Um, <laughs> gosh, I really, I really, I really don't know. My, I mean, the idea of how you turn, you know, these, this spark or this particular passion into something that's institutional, mm -hmm. you know, that's happened in England. It's just so incredible how particular people's ideas have become institutions and whole waves of people can be educated within institutions because of one person's ideas. Like, how do we do, how do, we do that? Mm. How do we fight battle against the things that we're having to battle against? In my case, it's really, it's poverty. Mm. It's people just not, I mean, Port Harcourt is extremely expensive. That's the other thing, it's one of the most expensive cities in Nigeria. Mm. And, um, and so people are literally just trying to survive and that, that's actually the most difficult thing to try and battle. So whilst I'm there, I'm trying to survive too, but whilst, you know, um, part of my survival is being able to also have a certain amount of inspiration and to be able to pass that on. And so I just sort of feel that if I communicate with my artists very specifically about the kind of work that we want to see happening, and it often doesn't happen in the gallery, it happens privately. Okay, you know, they come over to the house, we'll cook some food, or I'll go to their place, and it's just these conversations, these very intense conversations about where they're going and who they are, and just going really, really deep. I think that's how we're going to change it, in a sense. Once there's more programming, Absolutely. I think that we'd like to do more programming that allows, say, if there's a photographer we'd like to come over and who, he does often work with, with school children and we'll be, we'll be doing as, as much, many of those projects as possible. But for me, it's like the people that are close, who have power, that are, who are artists, that are close to me. It's really about speaking to them and it's going to be years. It's going to be years of conversations and having good relationships with people, staying friends with them. Um, you know, buying iPad cords that I'm supposed to buy and making sure he gets that so he trusts me in terms of my, you know, people that are around me, just building relationships, literally, mm -hmm. and sort of like infecting them with my own ideas as well. Mm -hmm. And I, 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 
I don't see how I, I could do this otherwise because you have to connect it also to finances for them to for that to continue. That's my question also in terms of finances because it's also one of the keys. How mm. how do you sustain boys quarters, for instance? So we're lucky enough to have um, a small grant from the African Arts Trust. Actually, it's a large grant for for them. Um, um, we need a whole lot more to do what we need to do, but th that's been amazing and that enables us to do small local um, mm. local shows, mm. and that's been really fantastic so far. In terms of refurbishing the space, that was a, that was a lot of um, you know begging and asking and pleading and people donating things in kind or giving us money and so the African Arts Trust money was released once I was able to match it and to refurbish the space with that matched funding. Mm. And so now that's how, that, that's how this has happened. Mm. Um, going forward, it's going to have to be, I mean, I'm just trying to imagine, sometimes it's me selling my own work, my personal work, and trying to keep things going that way. Yeah. Or, just like um, me putting up all my savings, yeah. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I don't have those. Uh, <laughs> I'm, trying to, I'm literally trying to sell work, but um, it's, sitting, it's literally sitting down and having the discipline to do forms and which I'm no good at. I'm mm -hmm. so Nigerian in that way. I'm not really used to, you know, writing to big organizations for, for grants. I don't do that. I don't know how to do that. Mm -hmm. But I'm thinking that in order to go forward, in order to get like larger chunks of money, because I really can't keep mm -hmm. every six weeks going, oh my God, we run out of money, what are we going to do? Um, I have, because it's, it's not just me. If it's just me, it's fine. But if it's like other people. Do you sell? Um, yes. Um, <laughs> You're really hitting on some raw nerves here with me because I don't, my, um, my uh, commercial muscle is really just non-existent, it's atrophied. But even if it was existent, there is, no, there, is no, there is no shame in selling artworks. I have a catalogue, I do have a catalogue and I haven't made it available. The works are for sale. Um, I don't know how to, um, you're hitting on a real nerve no, here. I'm I mean, not, I can tell you. I, I, I know ideas, but know, I can I, do ideas. I, can I can't. Tell you, we are, I mean, at Raw Material Company, we sell, but just nobody buys, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's like, it's not I mean, no about. One's, who's going to buy it? I mean, honestly, you know, I want to buy this. This is the thing about me, though. Mm -hmm. I, this is a piece that I want to buy. Yeah. I think it's an incredibly important piece. I don't know who else would buy that. Yeah. And, no the idea, and, the, and, the, and even the idea of, uh, it was very clear for <laughs> us that uh, as much as uh, we, we are establishing the, the, the institution as a, as a place of a critical analysis and mm. production and, uh, and contemplation, mm. really, uh, um, it also, we also have to develop a kind of a idea of sustainability, yeah. financial sustainability. Yeah. So we, we do, we, we conceptually sell, <laughs> <laughs> if I may say so. But of course, the kind of works that we, that we show sure. and the kind of ideas and programs that we put up are not always sellable. So, not locally, uh, anyway. And, not locally. Uh, uh, and a lot of, and it, it is so much so that a lot of people will come at raw material company for shows or for whatever uh, discursive programs, but especially for shows, <coughs> are so used not to be uh, confronted with sale mm. that they don't even think of asking <laughs> if the work is for sale sure. or not. But I mean, but the sale is would, absolutely do, legitimate. They... I think it's really, it's also, it's, it's just build, trying to build the string of financial 
uh, independent. they wouldn't go through you anyway. Well, in my me. experience, they would go through the, to the artist mm -hmm. privately mm -hmm. and try and get a deal. That's how it would work. Exactly. That, that actually happened. So, exactly. you know, we showed some work and then, you know, it turns exactly. out my artist sold some work. Yeah. So that's nice. How did mm -hmm. that happen? Mm -hmm. And it turns out the, yeah. the only collector in Port Harcourt went and had a you know, private meeting and bought some work, which is, I was really happy for my artist, so I'm, mm -hmm. I'm not going to complain about that. Mm -hmm. um, I'd say that actually my artists, though, they're, they're, I learned so much from them on that front. They're all businessmen, you know? Most of them, actually, they, they make their livings through art and mm -hmm. art, um, mainly art, actually. Mm -hmm. they're, they're incredible for that reason. But then they're also, you know, they're hustlers. They know they're, they're <laughs> buying buildings, they're buying cars, and they're just making things. They're incredible. Mm -hmm. And I feel like as if I have a lot to learn. And actually, a lot of artists around the world have a lot to learn from some mm -hmm. of these guys who are, uh, have families, who um, have businesses, and, but are using their art as well, and they're still producing art cons consistently. Mm. So um, for me, I'm learning a lot from them, <laughs> but we have a fundamental issue in that the kind of work I'm interested in showing is not necessarily the kind of work that would sell locally. And also the prices aren't the kind of price points that people, you know, I don't think it's that much, three, $4,000 is not very much for a piece of art, but it's people nothing. there would bulk at it, even though that's what they would spend in a weekend on alcohol. Mm. You know, it's not, you know, people have, so there are people with so much money there, but they just won't give it to art. They just won't do it. Mm. And they're not accustomed to spending that much money on art. They just don't value it in that way. Mm. Um, and then we've got the other weird thing element but where- But they come spend it in London though? Increasingly, yes, <laughs> but you know, from from the nice Delta note, but yeah, increasingly people yeah, are starting to think about. Um, it's uh, it's ironic what I said. It's mm. not. Yeah, go ahead, please. No, so um, yeah, so actually, but the, the artists that are attracted to boys' quarters, they're really they're really interested in the international market. Mm -hmm. They've sort of given up on the local market. They don't think that anything's going to happen there. And Lagos is its own thing. They're just they they're thinking, Zina, you're the one that's going to help us mm -hmm. get to the outside world mm. and in a sense the kind of work that I'm interested in mm. that I'm asking them to produce or just picking out from what they're doing is work that I you know from <coughs> markets that I understand or from mm. people that I understand so mm. so we have yeah so I think eventually yes I would like to be able to you know but it's about build how do you build value that's mm. the other thing isn't it how do you build value mm. why you know looking at why African art is so much cheaper than other other people's art what, what other groups of people's art you know how are we building value and it's to do with storytelling and so this takes time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I do want to sell. I'm, I'm serious about that. And I want the price points to be right. And I want to, the price points to be respectful. Mm -hmm. We can only do that through consistent, layered storytelling. And that's something that we're just going to have to keep doing. And it's mm -hmm. going to take time. It's not something that you can do that quickly. And just to finish, close that discussion about sales. I mean, uh, um, I mean having a, um, a commercial, a sales scheme doesn't necessarily mean that you are uh, profit-oriented, you mm. know. For instance, with us at Raw Material Company, after four years, maybe uh, we, uh, we didn't sell much, but whatever we sold was re-injected sure. into like the library, into the discursive program, into the residencies and so on. So it's, uh, yeah. you can be incongenerative, mm. but not commercial, you know what yeah. I mean? So, um, I'm not afraid of money. I'm not afraid of money. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, I wanted to uh, ask you, you, you seem, I mean, of course, the project is young and mm. uh, it will take time to sort of, you know, build a kind of a programmatic character. But uh, I would be interested in your ideas. Uh, you seem to focus a lot on local artists, on local uh, production. What kind of ideas 
do you have in mind in I mean in relationship be it regional you know uh, or even within uh, Nigeria and also uh, internationally in terms of your uh, curatorial program. Sure. Mm. No, so it's really interesting to me to invite artists from abroad and also mm. from other parts of Nigeria. Mm. So with the first three artists, we've had two shows so far, and the next artist coming along is um, another Niger Delta, specifically Niger Delta artist. So the first three, it's about really sort of like, okay, let's identify who we have locally. Let's, you know, they're famous for one thing, but perhaps we're going to show a different side to who they are um, at Boys' Quarters. So that's the beginning of that particular conversation. Um, if I'm, I'm hoping to raise enough money I need to get some, um, the next, the fourth show, which will be in February, would be um, a, a photographer who's um, coming in and he'll be doing some programs with children, but also showing his own work as well. And, you know, I have connections with artists in Lagos. Um, I've been talking to someone like Emeka Ogbo, who's a sound artist, and he's got some really great ideas, actually. Mm. So um, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's local, it's national, and it's international. Mm. But the main curatorial focus is this idea of self and environment. And it, could, it almost could be any environment. So far, we're, we're looking at the, the local environment, but I'm very interested in expanding this idea of environment. Um, I think that what the Niger Delta has to offer, more than having a, you know, being a, an African brand or a Nigerian branded gallery, is that you know, we have a, a sort of unique geopolitical situation here that can speak to the world. So I wasn't understanding why the art that was produced there was so commercial and so thin and had nothing to say and no individuality. So I think that the art that's produced there actually has an international voice automatically. And so and it must come from the Niger Delta, but I think everyone can participate in that conversation. But it's important to me that it's a Niger Delta conversation that, it, that the Niger Delta is having with the world. Very interesting. Um, I would really like to know, because you have a very an extensive uh, personal artistic practice. Mm. How do you reconcile that with your curatorial practice? It's not only curatorial because it's, it's institution building, it's management, <laughs> it's organizing, I mean, mm. it's everything, it's sure. cleaner, it's, uh, you know, I know what it means. Mm. Well, how do you, I am not an artist though, so I can concentrate only on that, but you are an artist. Mm. So how do you bring that together? Um, I mean, I, I, for me, I see it as an artistic endeavour, so I would actually say you probably are an artist, actually. Um, and I couldn't do this if People I wasn't an artist. People who don't know what a curator is call me an artist, yes. <laughs> if we're living in a world where we're having to pick and choose ideas and weave stories from ideas, I think that makes you an artist, actually, for me. Well, um, I, I wanted to say that, I mean, I was making sure. a joke about the curatorial profession itself, sure. but still. No, I but really... I, I do see it, as, on a serious level, I, I do see mm. it as an artistic endeavour, I do. And, um, and I probably couldn't do this if I wasn't an artist at the same time. I wouldn't have this desire to be, you know, to tell these kinds of stories in that way if I wasn't so artistically driven. And I think it, you know, I'm doing a lot of work um, in Agoniland for a, um, a project for Seattle Art Museum. I have solo shows coming up as well mm. next year. Thing is, if I didn't have boys' quarters to anchor me, I don't know that. Um, I think the two kind of support each other, actually. And um, so for me, this summer I was in New York, and you know I'd postponed my trip to come back to, Ni to come back to Nigeria. And you know, if I didn't have boys' quarters, if I didn't have a show that I had to put on, I wouldn't have gone back because there were fears about Ebola. There was um, Boko Haram. My, my driver had said, oh, by the way, a whole bunch of Boko Haram people were, were seen coming in on Abba Road, which is our main thoroughfare. And, um, you know, he gives me all the political updates. Other friends were saying that, oh, there was, you know, people that are being shot because of political 
issues. There were cult killings in Agoniland. There was, um, and then there were like, there was the um, uh, fuel shortages, and there was a particularly bad bout of, you know, lack of electricity, which was connected to fuel sh shortage. There was like literally no reason that I would want to go back. You know, there I am in New York having a, a completely marvelous time, and here is, you know, this place which is, you know, Ebola cult killings, mm. political killings, shootings, mm. lack of electricity, no, you know, fuel, uh, <laughs> a yes. place that is like providing fuel for the world and we can't have fuel in our cars. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the thing that makes you so angry when you're there. It's unbelievable, just basic, you know, those basic issues. Bare necessities. And bare necessities. Mm -hmm. And knowing that because it's rainy season as well and because the roads aren't fixed, mm -hmm. you're just trying to get around literally getting artwork from spaces to, to, the, to boys' quarters. Mm -hmm. I mean, I should have put the pictures of all the, you know, literally the roads that we're having to navigate mm -hmm. with the truck. But that, that brings you know, me these back. are all reasons. Okay. I did not want to come back. It's but because I had this gallery show, that's, that's why I was able to come back and focus. It's exactly what we were discussing preparing this. And it brings me back to what I was telling you earlier. I mean, these are all these constraints, mm. all these daily challenges. I mm. mean, you wake up, you have 10 challenges to meet mm. before 10 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so, uh, and how, how do you address it? I mean, not only in a personal kind of domestic logistical organization, but also on a, on a, on a curatorial level, on a programmatic level. Is it something that sort of, you know, you want it to flow into your, into your work or into the program at Voice Quarters or not? I mean, all these the difficulties. Yeah, all these. Yes. Um, no, I mean, mm. the thing is, I'm sitting here complaining and near tears talking about it, but, but you know, these people deal with this every day, you know? Mm. I'm sitting here in London talking about this and they're sitting there living it. You know, but so you live they there manage. too. It's not yeah. like you don't live there. I mean, it's not. Sure. You live there. You, you. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, you. You made the decision to move there to yeah. establish this uh, this sure. space, which sure. is not, uh, which is not uh, an easy thing. No. I think. Uh, I think uh, anybody who. Who, uh, I, I, I usually say we, we should decorate everybody who lives in the, in Africa because it's a daily it's a daily bravery you know from top to down or whatever. So I really think that it is uh, uh, it is not a, a light affair. Sure. You know, so. But I, I I think I just remember that you know most people here we deal with this every single day. Yeah. So it's not exciting to talk about these problems. Actually, yeah. this is this is something that people are navigating mm -hmm. um, with a plum. I might add, you know, um, people that are turning up who don't have. I complain about the lack of electricity, and there's some people who just don't have any. I didn't know that. I thought it was oh, it's that whole thing when it's on and off. There's some people who just do not have any mm -hmm. at all. And there's you know these people who are there's there's the guy downstairs who um. He was working downstairs and he looks after my father's books that were downstairs. And, you know, he, lovely older gentleman, you know, very nicely turned out. He doesn't have electricity, mm. you know, and he turns up every day. It's just, yeah, it's yeah. really difficult yeah. to it sort is. of the things that people navigate, but they just deal with it. Yeah. And so I just feel as if um, I don't know if it's something that is interesting to us locally, but mm. I, I can talk about it mm. you know, at a talk here. Mm. That's fine. But I just don't feel... Um, that locally that's necessarily something that they necessarily want to yeah. have to confront again because they're confronting it every single day. Okay, before we continue, in case you have comments, you know, interventions, <laughs> oppositions, <laughs> suggestions, questions, 
you you may ask them just wait for the mic to come to you say your name and uh, we'll be happy to to respond or to you there are there are two hands in front four five six wonderful there's Yay. so many hands in this session <laughs> yes just two questions um why had you not dealt with um, you said for a long time you were not quite please willing. can you say your name just Sorry, my name for is the recording you, you said that for a long time you were not willing to deal with not so much your father's legacy but to but I guess confront something. Can you just elaborate on that and explain why? And also talk a little bit about how now that you're living, I don't know if it's all the time or more often in, in Poirco, how, how have you changed? I'm assuming you grew up in the West, but I mean, I'd just like to know a little bit about that. Um, yeah, so it was just very, it was you know, a difficult death. It was, you know, um, and it, it was owned by the people, it wasn't owned by me. It was this, this situation where I felt like he was immediately a public figure and it was this international tension. And so, um, yes, it, it didn't belong to me, his death didn't belong to me. So I didn't feel as if I had anything to say. I couldn't get involved. And also there was conditions of being involved and those conditions were that you were automatically politicized. And I, I wasn't sure about that. I, I, I've always had my own motivations. Even when my father was alive, I had my own ideas about storytelling when it came to black people, actually. It, was, it wasn't Africa-focused or anything. It was more about black people in the UK, actually. That was what, much more my focus. And I just continued with that, actually, on some level. And so, no, my, my father's death and life didn't belong to me. And so I just let the other people who were mainly environmentalists deal with it. Um, it was, so, you know, his... Hmm. His death, sort of, there are so many things that are involved with this, so many things to pull apart, you know? He represents so many things. And, you know, and the first immediate things, I think, which is why it was immediately latched onto, was the issue with, with how big companies deal in countries, in West African countries like that, who have dubious human rights records, but they're also participating in that. So there's that big question that really has to be dealt with. That was the immediate question. And in a sense, I understand why that's how people went in there. But there, there, there are many other questions that affected me on a personal level. Here is this man who is a, po uh, a product of, of post-colonial Nigeria. He's um, from a small village, from a, a small ethnic group in Nigeria. And so there's that relationship between smaller ethnic groups and bigger ethnic groups in Nigeria. Then there's the class issue. He's this like, African man who um, made his own money and sends his children to all like, the best schools in England. And there's that class navigation as well. There's, um, there's so many other stories that as, you know, we start that that death sort of explodes. And so the first thing that was dealt, had to be dealt with was the bigger political questions that I, you know, didn't, I, I wasn't really equipped, I didn't feel to really participate in that particular conversation. But then there's those other more personal ones that I think are also really a huge part of the story when we're talking about how Africans relate, you know, Nigerians and ethnic groups relate to each other. There's that question. There are class questions. There's so many other issues that, you know, I feel much more able to explore now. And so, so for 10 years now, I just let other people deal with the very immediate ramifications and the immediate questions that would arise. But there's still so many other questions. You know, I think it's not... When Nelson Mandela died, I feel like it was beautifully boiled down into this, not an easy idea, um, but a simple idea, but not an easy idea, which is forgiveness. Mm. So um, that was that question. But I always feel that with my father's, it was a lot messier, mm. a lot 
deeper and much more difficult somehow. It's much more difficult to sort of start to tease out all those questions. And it's going to take a long time. And so this is my particular intervention, my particular response. And my, a lot of my work, my artistic work, is about the relationship between the personal and the political. So for me, it's like, OK, we've got the situation in the Niger Delta. How, how does sexism play into this, for example? The feminine. I'm really interested in those questions. I'm really interested, a lot of the work I'm doing that isn't just boys' quarters, but it's um, for Seattle. I'm looking at, you know, how, how does imbalance between genders um, affect oil pollution? I mean, it's actually a real question, in a sense. You know, this is all part of it. How does the, the way that, you know, brothers and sisters relate to each other, how is that affecting um, politics? These are all things that matter. I believe they matter, and that's what my work is really about connecting. So I'm, you know, I'm not going to tell you what those answers are right now. I'm still exploring them. But I think that, that the, those personal, the personal ramifications, that relationship between what's happened personally, what my father represented, who he made me to be, and what has happened in the Niger Delta, and what has happened more widely than that, those are questions that I'm trying to figure out as an artist now through Boys' Quarters, but also through my own personal practice. There was a lady, there are many hands, so I'll try to be democratic for a change. Hi, thanks, thanks, it was a really good conversation. And my name's Nana. Um, I was really taken by what you were saying about the artwork that we're looking at mm. now, and the, um, the grandmother story and not being allowed to be a fisherman. And then you said something about the fact that when people saw it, it kind of kick-started other people's stories about fishing and being fishermen and whatever. Has, maybe it's something you're doing already, but is there a way to capture those stories and keep that within the space? I don't know if it's something you're already mm. doing, because that's a real, to me, that would be a real draw and something that local people yeah. can, you know, generate. No, I, no, I totally agree with you. Um, sometimes when people come in and they say some amazing things, I've, if I have my camera, I film them, and I have um, hard drives just filled with lots of information that's just sitting there. So it's a matter of me doing something about it. Um, it yeah, so it's about my energy at Porsche. I mean, this, yeah, I think it's a beautiful idea. I think it's a wonderful idea. And um, I might try and find a simpler way of actually teasing out those stories. I think that my whole thing on film, film is such hard work. Actually, it might just be easier to do it as an Instagram, just photograph, you know, spit the thing, what they say, that might be a really good idea. So I might do something, absolutely do something like that. Because this, this is supposed to be a storytelling platform. So I think you're right. I'm definitely going to. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Do you want, do you want to do it for me? <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's also a question of energy and, um, you know, having the right people to do that kind of work as well. And also training people locally to understand how to get those stories. But I think people are very willing and very capable, actually. So, yeah, I think it's a great idea. Maybe next we move on to, yes, the lady there and then the lady here. Yes. Yes, please. Yeah, um, my name's Jamal. Uh, thank you for the talk. Um, I wanted to see if you could talk about any difficulties you face from like the local community, maybe, or any resistance you had in setting up the space and how you navigated that. OK, so, um, yes. So the outside space, I didn't put any pictures up of that. Um, it was very messy. There was loads of um, um, homeless, drunk kind of people that are around. And um, 
they're kind of very much encroached on the space because I think and my brother was there back in the early 2000s, around 2003-04. It's a really difficult time. It was one of the, the high point of the uh, militancy, etc. And it was a very difficult time to be there. And so he ended up leaving. And um, but we still have people to manage the space there. But it became a lot more difficult. And then you know, town where we're, you know where the gallery is, you know you know, town affects you, you can't really, you know, it's always a constant battle to keep the outside space clean, to, you know, ensure that um, people aren't sleeping where they're not supposed to be sleeping. It's, you know, it's a constant sort of battle. Um, so it was, you know, constant conversations. Um, I tried to plant, we planted some green areas and I put a palm tree there and someone chopped it down. Um, I didn't decide not to get too upset about that, just let it go. And there were people that were selling, you know, they were, you know, they're supposed to, they're actually supposed to pay you some money if they're going to set up their stall and they wouldn't, and they wouldn't leave. And so that, that, there was a bit of a standoff, I haven't told my mother this, no, she's right here. But there was a little bit of a standoff with some um, area boys because the woman who had the, the fruit stand at the big, you know, we asked her to leave because she's not really supposed to be there. And it was causing problems with trying to get in and foot traffic. And um, yeah, and there was, yeah, there were some area boy issues. Mm. Um, but nothing violent happened, it was fine, but there, was, there, there, were, there were words mm. exchanged. But I, I didn't have to interface with that. It was, you know, the people that work there. Mm. So the, yeah, so there, there were some of those issues. But literally, it's just about literally keeping the space presentable and clean. And luckily now downstairs, the, um, there's an organization who's running the Ken Sarriwa Foundation, which is going downstairs. I think their presence is gonna help us yeah. manage that outside space. So there was, yeah, there has been. Now in terms of curatorially, in terms of the work we're producing, nothing like that so far. Yeah. So I'd have to do something probably very controversial yeah. for that to happen. But so far that, you know, that's not a conversation yet, yeah. but just literally in terms of just trying to keep the area safe, kind of safe, for people to you know come and visit and also just sort of clean there there have been battles but we're, we're we're managing it and fundamentally my father is a revered figure so you know it doesn't mean that they won't try things on with you they absolutely will but fundamentally there is a fundamental respect yeah. and if anything were to happen then you know that i think that it, i don't want to i don't want to say what would happen but if anything were to happen to the building that was serious or to or to me or yeah anyone around us that there'd, there'd be problems because you know it's still, it's still Ken Sarawiwa and it's still a public figure that you know people revere so I don't think it's I don't think it's that bad I think there's lady here uh, Sheena Green what's your name Sheena Green I just want to ask you both a little bit more about funding um, do you commission the actual exhibitions that you have Yourself, or do you provide the space for an artist to... For all material or for boys' quarters? Well, Start with I you. I know that you just had a couple today, but going forward to actually continue, um, how do you fund each exhibition? <laughs> we, would you want to fund one? <laughs> I have my own issues around this, but just for, I mean, for a wider Pan-African... Well, I mean, we, uh, raw material company is a little bit older and uh, done boys' quarters. And uh, as I said, uh, um, the first two years or the, f yeah, sort of roughly the first two years, we, we, we run basically, I mean, if I look at the budget that we run on, uh, more, almost half of it 
pretty much half of it came out of my pockets and my pockets meaning my own, my husband, my mother, my father and you know. Can so I you, just more yeah. specifically than that, your choice of artist uh, or a particular exhibition that you would have, would the artist just be given this space? Um, you want would to you actually commission the work, for example, here, this work in front of you? Would you commission that work, the artist, to, to produce that work for a specific exhibition? I mean, I would, yeah, for this one, it was a much smaller work, and I yes. asked them to make it larger. Um, each artist gets a fee um, anyway. Right. Yes. Uh, a very small one, but they get a fee. To um, produce. Yeah, yes. but um, I, I personally, I'm very interested in commissioning more especially if I'm not seeing the kind of work that I want to see. Oh, I just right. I think, okay, listen, can we have a conversation about X, Y, Z, and can you go and see what you would do if we thought about this a bit more? So yes. for me, personally, I'm, I'm interested in doing that, but the budgets would have to be extremely small. Yes. And I think we can work with a smaller budget. I think that's perfectly possible. All right, okay. And would that be the same for you? Well, we commission, I mean, my curatorial practice is almost 90% 90, 90 based on commission, so we commission mm. a lot. And, uh, and when we commission, we work professionally as a commissioner. We fund everything, of course. Do you find that you get the sort of work that you're looking for? Are you surprised by it? How, it's, how? Always, it's always a, a kind of, uh, you know, you never know. And that's what the commission is, <laughs> is interesting. You know, it is, uh, it is absolutely uh, uh, exciting in terms of, you know, you... You, you're part of, what I like about the commissioning practice is that you're just part of developing a work, you're part of developing an idea. Mm. But of course, you, it's always a surprise, but uh, also uh, with time you develop a kind of, I mean, you develop knowledge, you develop trust, yeah. and you work with uh, artists that, uh, that are, you know, mature enough, and that you can trust and you know that whatever is will be, will be absolutely, absolutely with quality and with, uh, yeah. There are two hands here, but there were hands in the back also, but if those hands in the back are, do not continue, we would take the two hands in front. My name is Elisa, um, and I was interested um, in if there are any possibilities for collaboration with other organizations or schools or other galleries in that area. Um, it sounds like it, maybe there might not be a lot there in terms of that, but I think collaboration is a great way to build visibility, mm -hmm. and I was wondering if maybe that's something you thought about in the future. Um, absolutely. I don't know that there's anything much locally, though. I have to say there's not, you know, we're the only kind of gallery that's doing this, really, in Niger Delta. Um, so I can't, you know, I don't see many sort of like-minded people who are trying to do something slightly different here. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I don't know how collaboration works, necessarily. I don't know what that means. But I would say, for example, love someone else to come in and curate. Uh, that's another thing. If someone has a very specific idea that relates to self and environment, wherever that is in the world, I'm absolutely open to you know ensuring that they have a space to have that conversation. So, um, but yeah, no, I'm, that's something I'm, I'm very much open to. But for now, we're just trying to embed ourselves a little bit, and I'm also getting to know the artists in the community a little bit as well. And so, I, I, I'm just trying to strengthen that relationship. And you know, I'm also I'm also in this really funny phase where 
I'm trying to, you know, you, you have to make certain concessions to where you are, but also you have to maintain your own standards too. And so for the last two months, I feel like I've been rebuffing people a lot because I mean, well, this is who we are and I don't want that and we can't have this and these are our standards. And so I still feel that there's a sense of we still have to establish our brand and what we stand for mm. before I can start thinking about sort of like blending with someone else's ideas. There was a lady here. You Your mentioned, name, sorry, Amina. Um, uh, just a quick question about what you were saying earlier in the conversation. You didn't um, discuss it about the fact that 80% of these kinds of institutions are actually led by women. Um, mm. I'm very curious to get your thoughts on what that's like first. Um, well, I guess first, maybe a comment on that, why that might be. And then, two, in your experience, um, what is that like, right? What is it? kind of managing those, I guess, more traditional gender roles in these kinds of contexts. I'm very curious. Want to take that first? <laughs> Stop, <laughs> <You're> quickly. <laughs> well, um, there's a really wonderful piece I saw at um, the, uh, the Contemporary Art Museum in Houston by an artist called Andrea Gaya, Gaya, G-E-Y-E-R. It's a piece called Insistence. It's really wonderful, I think it's online. And it's this piece where she's like putting down one photo after another of up to 100 women, I think it is. And each of those women were behind the modernist movement in New York, setting up and establishing all these institutions like MoMA, Guggenheim, all of them established by women. And I, I was just so struck with this piece, thinking, my goodness. And when I was in New York in the summertime, I was buying some materials for the gallery. And a lovely chap there, so I was telling him what I was doing. He goes, oh, and he's like, oh, yeah, but you know that it's mainly women that do this. And it was just so nice to hear that reconfirmed again. It's like it's quite a common thing for women to be setting up institutions in this way. Um, um, I'm African, but I'm also British, and I have an accent, and so... I'm outside the loop slightly in a sense and I'm not married and so it feels as if okay I'm outside people's expectations on some level and so I mean when I was working in a going land there's one particular there's a couple of people that just call me sir <laughs> so you know <laughs> the way that I am so it's just like I mean it's a joke on their part they're like sir yes sir um, so I, it's, you know uh, I can get away with a, you know certain things that they can't but it's often I'm often interfacing with men rarely women. It's like I'm surrounded by men all the time. Um, but, you know, I've developed lungs and, you know, stronger larynx. You know, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of yelling and a lot of having to um, get your balls out. It's a bit, it's, yeah, it's, it's developing a side of myself that I'm not necessarily that excited about, but in order to sort of, you know, withstand and, you know, get your vision seen through, you do have to do that. But actually, a lot of men have to do that too. You know, it's not just like, you know, me as a woman shouting, it's like the men having to do that too. But also I, I, I try and delegate that to other people, try and make things happen. So, um, yeah, culturally though, I'm given leeway because I'm not fully Nigerian from their perspective. The art, the or even fully side, female. Though, mm? There are very few women artists, right? So I'm just curious. Yeah, very few. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it really does make me cross though, because I'm, I'm not going to... I'm going to say who it was, but when I was thinking about, we, we need some staff in here, and the person that was advising me was saying, yeah, we do, but let's not make it a woman. And I said, what? <laughs> and he goes, no, 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 you don't want a woman. They're just really annoying. All they talk about is, like, their boyfriends. And this is, he's a really great guy, <laughs> wonderful man, but this is really, really how he thought. And I'm, I, I hate to tell you this. You. Yeah, 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 yeah. I told you, I'm not fully, I'm not fully female there. So. <laughs> no, but the, the problem is, is that... Um, 
There is an issue there, though. We can't get away from it. There is a sense that you know, women don't come forward that easily. If we're trying to ask directions on the street and we're asking a woman, the woman won't say, won't immediately come over to you. It's more the man that will come forward. There's a, there is a bit more reticence there. You know, it's a much more traditional, traditional society anyway. It just is that way. And so it's... it's, a, it's um, and there aren't that many female artists. It's, that's another thing. And um, right now, I can't tackle that or deal with that right now. I just have to deal with what we have. But, um, but the, you know, the issue between the gender balance and gender relations is a massive issue that I'm mm. dealing with within my work as well. And yeah, I'm sure you have lots to well, say. Um, Dakar. I, I don't know. You know, I like to complicate my life. <laughs> I mean, you, you, you set up uh, boys' quarters in Nigeria. You're a Nigerian, so there is already a kind of legitimation which is already there. I'm not even getting into the gender issue. I mean, I'm Cameroonian, raised in Switzerland, setting up raw material in Senegal. It's complicating your whole <laughs> life, you know. So, uh, um, but the fact, uh, the point about uh, that uh, many of these organizations are set up and run by women. I think um, the, 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 the example that you gave, a lot of art and culture organizations are set up by women worldwide. And, uh, and this is not, and I think it's maybe just, I don't know, uh, the, the desire to share, to care, to, you know, to, uh, to develop uh, um, possibilities for others. Uh, is it our form of politics? Excuse me? Is it our form of politics? Maybe, I think, maybe. And, but also, the, but the fact that this is not uh, generally and globally acknowledged, and this is why I always say it, because uh, patriarchy is still <laughs> a reality, you know, despite all the, all the achievements. So, and, uh, and if you look, in terms of institution building. Institution building, I don't want to get into this kind of essentialist uh, consideration about, uh, you know, uh, the feminine aspect or the masculine aspect. No, I don't think it's that. But uh, there, is, there is a certain, uh, when you, in that field, a man would maybe rather go into being an artist and being successful and be a big artist, you know. Uh, uh, whereas maybe a woman lesser. But I also think that the conditions uh, in, the, in the last 10 or 15 years that, uh, that the, ter the territories that we are working in uh, 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 give us uh, demands uh, a, certain, a certain kind of address and a certain kind of uh, engagement that also demands um, uh, a very strong abnegation also, you know. You have to give up a lot. You know, as uh, Sina was saying, I mean, she could have lived a marvelous life in London and in, in New York. I could have done the same. But, you know, you have, to, you, have to, you have to give up a lot in order to do what she does, what I do, and what Busy Silva would just work out is doing and other people, you know. So maybe not a lot of men are ready to give up a lot, you know. <laughs> But there's a sense that also women are willing to be more vulnerable as well and asking certain sorts of questions, especially in Africa. Mm -hmm. 
I think we're able to do that with this work and with our spaces. We're able to ask certain kinds of questions on some level. I think that helps. I don't know, maybe we can take one <coughs> last question if there is any. Otherwise, we could call this a talk. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs>